You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. In this episode, host Dan Johnson catches up with me, Josh Raley, the host of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, about the difference between hunting in the north and the deep south, postseason scouting, why we struggle to find shed antlers, and what's ahead for the How to Hunt Deer Podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, and today's kind of an interesting episode because there's a little bit of a transition that's going to be going on, and um, I am going to be stepping away. This is Dan Johnson. I am going to be stepping away from the hosting roles. I have too many irons in the fire with the Sportsman's Nation here, and I wanted to pass this, uh, I wanted to continue with this podcast because I feel it does offer a ton of great content, not only for new people who are brand new to hunting, but refreshers for people who have been, you know, uh, hunting for a a long time and maybe just need that, uh, hey, I'm having some trouble in the woods. What can I do? And uh, one of the first guys that came to my mind was the host of the Wisconsin podcast that we have here on the uh, on the network, and that's Josh Rayleigh. Josh, man, uh, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great, Dan. Uh, really excited for the direction with the How to Hunt Deer podcast, and uh, grateful you asked me to come on and do this. Yeah, man. Uh, so even if you don't... Um, or if, if you're not from Wisconsin, okay, uh, Josh puts out a really good podcast, right? And it's relevant throughout the Midwest or, or just, you know, outdoors in general. Uh, it's, a, it's a general outdoors podcast. You know, there's a lot of co- uh, content with uh, deer, obviously. And another reason why I, I felt like Josh would be a good replacement for me. Now, I'm not going away 
hundred percent. I'm still going to be uh, a guest every once in a while. I think we talked about, you know, if a, if a guest backed out or something, I'll still hop on. But Josh is from the South originally. Okay. And he, then he moves up North. So he has, he has a little bit of experience in, in hunting deer in the South and then hunting deer up in the Northern part of the Midwest now. And so let me, let me kind of kick this episode off Josh by let's talk a little bit about the, the similarities and the differences between the South where, where you cut your teeth hunting and the North, which is uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, man. You know, um, I, I don't think the, the differences can be overstated. So I think I'll start there, uh, because it is just a, an entirely different world. So, uh, I grew up hunting in deep South Alabama, um, not very far from the Gulf coast. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the terrain there is different. Primarily you're hunting what's kind of like a big woods situation, except it's all pine plantation. And there is some diversity within, uh, those pine stands, but it can be really hard to narrow the deer down and figure out uh, what the deer are doing. And yeah. so we don't have ag fields. We don't have uh, hardly anything besides small food plots. And uh, yeah, a lot of the hunting revolves around that. Also uh, had the chance to actually hunt with dogs a bit as a kid. We were in a club for a while that, that ran dogs, which I know there's a lot of uh, difference in opinion on that. But but man, I tell you, it's just such a rich part of the hunting heritage down there. And uh, yeah. when you walk up to a thicket that's nothing but but pine trees and yapon holly, uh, you don't want to walk through it. Right. So sending the dogs in is the, dog. the best thing yep. you can do. Yep. Yep. And yep. for those of, so. and for those of you who are not familiar with um, all of the rules and regulations throughout all of the states, like I am. Uh, there, there are several states in the South and I, man, I, I, even, even a little bit nor, uh, North, I think, um, of the traditional South, there might be a couple states that still have a, a dog hunting week or a dog hunting season where it is legal to push deer with dogs and, uh, you know, kill them that way. So that, that, that's something that's always intrigued me, something that, I don't know what my like what my thoughts are on it personally, but the fact that it's it is such a rich tradition and it is legal, uh, then I support all forms of legal hunting. So um, uh, it, that you know, if you're listening to this in the South, that might be an, an option for you as well to get connected with someone who who does that. And I'm sure it's a lot different from the tree stand hunting that you do in Wisconsin. Oh man, it's so, so much different. Yeah. When you're, you know, you're, you're essentially standing and, you know, they do a lot of man drives here in Wisconsin. So it's not a whole lot different than that, uh, except you're listening to the dogs and waiting for them to come your direction. But yeah, it's not, it's certainly not as peaceful uh, as a a crisp morning in the tree stand. (laughs) Right. And uh, it can get a little hairy every once in a while when uh, you hear the shots coming your direction and the dogs coming your way. And, um, you know, and honestly, I, I was way less successful. Uh, when hunting with dogs, we actually had a lot better success uh, hunting them light, more like what we do here in the Midwest. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about the terrain differences uh, down there. Now, I know the vegetation differences. You, know, you you talked about these pine stands and these big pine plantations. But what about yep. the actual t- uh, the terrain, the lay of the land? How is that different and or similar from uh, those two different locations? 
Yeah, it's it, you know it's really diverse uh, down in the south, and, and it is here in Wisconsin as well. Uh, but when we grew up, we had some areas that were uh, rolling hills. You know, not mountains by any means, but but certainly rolling hills with some pretty steep drop offs. We yep. also uh, I also hunted some spots. Uh, I spent seven almost eight years in Louisiana, so hunted some of the some of the swampiest stuff you can find. Uh, a lot of folks are familiar with the Tinsaw uh, Wildlife Refuge down there, which is just a huge, vast area with tons of swamp. Uh, also got to hunt some pine savanna, which is weird. You know, chest high grass with uh, dotted pine trees throughout. That was some of my favorite hunting in the South and just a really unique terrain. So it was, it was super, super diverse, you know, and some of those spots are really flat. Some of them are really low and wet. Some of them are really hilly. Um, you know, and Wisconsin's pretty diverse as well, but uh, down there you had a lot of red clay, which could make it really interesting. As soon as it gets wet, man, you can forget walking up and down the hills because you're going to yeah. be slipping and sliding unless you have a rope. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, um, I've interviewed people now on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man, since like 2014. So I've been doing this almost seven or eight years now. And what's crazy is interviewing some guys from Louisiana and talking to them about just standing water, just walking through six inches of standing water to get to their tree stand. And the, the water didn't go away, right? This was a, a swamp. This was a, a giant marsh and, and deer found ways to survive. So anywhere from, you know, extremely wet conditions to extremely dry conditions, hot conditions, cold conditions. Every single year I hear a story about the 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 white-tailed deer for the most part and mule deer are the same way. But the white-tailed deer, that just impresses me. Like their ability to live in any environment, their ability to survive in any environment. It's, I don't know, man, it just, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's absolutely astounding. You know, you go to the, the swamps of Louisiana and uh, you find them bedding on really tiny, just little bitty islands in the middle of water. And, you know, it's, it's knee to waist deep all around. And then you find a couple of uh, cypress heads that have that have beds on them just out in the middle of out in the middle of nowhere so they're super secure and you know it's really really thick in there but then you go to the other side and you're talking like a pine savanna you sit out and you watch you know a hundred acres of pine savanna and you don't see a thing and then all of a sudden you just start seeing deer stand up from out in the middle of the grass mm -hmm. you know so just the diversity yeah. of of behavior the difference of behavior from from one habitat type to the other that can be right down the road from each other yeah absolutely all right, so we talked a little bit about the differences, but uh, from your experience, whether that is, you know, the actual physical uh, terrain or the environment, uh, the ecosystem that they live in, as, or the, the behavior that they, that they instill, you know, in, in those ecosystems, what are some of the similarities that you've seen? Yeah, I think some of the similarities, I mean, obviously deer are, uh, deer are all about the food. You know, early season, late season, it is it is all about the food. So they're going to be um, they're going to be betting somewhere near where they've got good access to good food. I think that's a that's a big thing. Uh, you know, obviously there are lessons about the way deer bed and move that translate north to south really really well. So the things that they want um, in an area where they're bedding that is cover down low to the ground where they are stuffed to their back using wind advantage. All of those things hold true down for the south. Now, it seems like in the south they have a lot more options of locations to bed, uh, whereas up here, especially as the leaves start to fall off the trees, 
they have a lot fewer options of where to bed. So, but that's a similarity, yeah. uh, you know, where they like to bed, but then also travel, uh, travel routes. I mean, edges are consistent uh, everywhere that I've hunted. Yeah. You know, you find, you find a good edge, you find where different habitat types come together. You find that diversity and you find the deer. It's just, yeah. it's just what they do. Yeah. And you know, the more, uh, a hunter, and I'm just going to use me as an example, just watches how deer move through terrain, whether it's subtle terrain or whether it's, you know, not so subtle terrain, big bluffs or big hills or, you know, uh, mountainous terrain. They are in a way moving through that terrain in the same way, right? The, it may not look like the same way, but uh, especially in, in, let's just say, flatter conditions when I'm out uh, west in South Dakota and yes, there's terrain there, but even in subtle terrain, and I've hunted some flat stuff where they can disappear because they are traveling in the lowest possible um, part of that of that terrain, uh, how they work ridges here in Iowa and in other Midwestern states, how they, they don't skyline themselves, how they don't, you know, how they are patient and they will take their time going through an area or the opposite, they know that if they want to get from point A to B, they got to hustle up a little bit and they don't stop in, in certain uh, areas. So just watching that and observing all these different hunting locations uh, over the years has led me to believe that these deer are really doing a lot of the same, as far as deer movement is, is concerned, a lot of the same type of uh, terrain usage, I guess I'll say, like use terrain uh, as far as deer movement is concerned. And, uh, and, and once, a, once a guy can grasp that, it's going to allow them, uh, that hunter, to put themselves in a better position every single hunt that they go on. And uh, whether that is with a, uh, a fixed, you know, a, a mobile tree stand or a saddle where you're able to uh, bounce around a lot, or a ladder stand that's in one spot, you'd just be like, okay, well, this spot didn't work. I'm going to tear it down. I've, I've observed this movement coming over here and put it up and just slowly starting to have more success throughout the years because you're, you're absorbing all that information that this deer movement is giving you. That's right. It's giving you those, those instincts, you know, people yes. start to talk about yes. like my, my spidey sense went off when I got into this spot. Well, you've, you've picked up over the years, you know, those kinds of things was like, wow, last time I was in a situation like this, the deer, you know, traveled in the lowest spot or they came, you know, this far up this ridge and they, they moved yeah. like this as they got up to the close to the, uh, to the more open woods, as opposed to the, the thicker stuff, maybe up on the top. So yep. yeah, Absolutely. yeah. The more you can build, build and hone that instinct. And I think that's where a podcast like this comes in, uh, yes. even for guys that have been doing it for a long, long time, you know, helping them put words and thoughts to the instincts that are on the inside that they already uh, you know, know without knowing basically. And if you can start to call that out, then you can start to utilize that when you're hunting. Yeah, that's a fact. That is a fact. All right. So what, let's talk a little bit, you know, this, this is basically an introduction of, uh, to you, Josh. And, um, uh, and, you know, basically this is the, the handing of the torch, right? Passing of the torch for sure. me to you. And, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what's to come. Like, what direction are you going to take this podcast? Uh, what what kind of topics are we going to be covering? Not only this month, but into the spring. And and uh, what what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think we want to we want to stay as relevant and up to date as possible as far as what's going on in the whitetail world right now. So here for the month of February, we're going to be talking about things like uh, like postseason scouting. We're going to do uh, an episode on you know what did we learn from the year and how do we capitalize on what we learned from the year. Uh, you know how do we how do we take that that experience and that education that the deer gave us this past season and put that to work for future seasons? Because I think a lot of guys can can just let a season slip by and and you know kind of start off from scratch again next season when there's a tremendous amount that they can learn and build on. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about shed hunting. We're going to talk about what the deer are doing during the spring, what they need during the spring. Talk about fawning. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, habitat improvement just a little bit for those guys who are able to do that. And, you know, what your options may be if you're a guy with leased land or a, a small 20 acre piece, you know, how do you capitalize on that? We're going to talk about looking for new properties. So maybe your property didn't serve you very well uh, this year and you're just unhappy with, with the results. And, and, you know, it's time to branch out, maybe move to a different habitat type, maybe just move to a place with higher deer densities or lower, lower hunting pressure. So we're going we're gonna to be all over the map, but we're going to be trying to do it uh, month by month and, and kind of, you know, the guiding principle is, well, what, what am I doing this month? What is, what is Dan doing this month? You know, what are the guys who are hardcore year-round deer hunters? What are they doing right now to put themselves uh, in the right spot come October, November of next year? And that's yeah. where we're going to be focusing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent because that's what we all want, right? We all want to know what we can be doing right now in order to, you know, find success in the next hunting season. And let's, let's elaborate on that while, uh, yep. while we're here a little bit, what do you think is something, you know, I, I know Wisconsin is over, right? Yep. Well, With yeah, pretty close. Most, most of the state is closed. Uh, we there are a few spots right here around me. In fact, I, I could still be hunting for another five or six days. Oh, really? Is that a antlerless yeah. season? Uh, it is actually, uh, totally open right now. If you still had an archery buck tag in your pocket, uh, okay. you could get out and, and get one this time of year, but it's the, uh, the, the manage, I forget what they call it. it it's, uh, basically metropolitan zone. Oh, okay. So closer Urban. to, closer to larger cities. Yep. Yep. They're trying gotcha. to, trying to lower the deer population. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, Iowa, we're done. Okay, a lot of uh, Illinois, mm. I think, is done. A lot of the other uh, states, I, I think there's still some states, you know, you, you talk about down south, right? There's still some uh, states in the south where they're just, they, they're just coming out of the rut right now. Um, yep. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is there, are there a couple states that go all the way into February? In, there uh, are, man. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Alabama and Louisiana both go all the way into February. Uh, I know parts of Florida go into February and uh, where my dad's property is, he's getting ready here in the next five or six days to really start his rut hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so those, those first 10 days of February are sort of prime time for right there along the, the Gulf coast for a lot of people. So they haven't even hit the prime time yet. Yeah. So, and that's why some of uh, these guys that I know who aren't married and don't have kids, when they travel, they end their season in the South uh, hunting. They've been hunting the rut for what seems like two months now. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) November, December, you know, you could, you know, depending on where you hunt, you know, November in the Midwest, and then you creep down South a little bit further. Um, some, st- some States have uh, that December rut and, and yep. things like that. But for all intensive purposes, let's just say the season's over. 
All yep. right. Me personally, um, the other, uh, it was two days ago. I went out, I took down some tree stands. I, I took down my trail cameras, um, brought those back into the, the, or into the garage. I'm going to inspect them here in a couple days. And then I'm going to go redistribute them and just try to get as much intel on uh, the deer in on the properties that I hunt to see what made it, how, you know, if there's a lot of coyotes, if all these things, you know, the more data you get, the better. Um, so I'm still in that, that data gathering. And at the same time, I'm checking those trail cameras in hopes that I get to, to uh, uh, know when to get out and shed hunt. Um, are you a shed hunter? I am. Yeah. I'm not very good at it, but I am a shed hunter. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things, man. Um, man, I, I remember back in the day when I had access to a lot more ground than I do now. Uh, but man, I, I can just remember going days and days and days and, and walking back and forth and, and looking for what some people call the brown gold and, uh, and picking up shed antlers, you know, on in fields and things like that. Uh, and I think shed shed hunting is one of those things that can overlap with postseason scouting, right? Um, yep. And it sounds like that's something you're going to be talking about a little bit of that in the upcoming months and weeks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I'm when I'm out shed hunting, I have a hard time turning off my postseason scouting. Yeah, uh, that's glasses, that's tough. You know what I mean? Yeah, those guys tough. that are really really good at post or at um, at shed hunting, they'll tell you they're they're not scouting. They're looking for antlers. Yeah, they're not spending a lot of time looking at everything because your eyes have to be uh, tuned in, I guess, to one specific thing. And I, that that's just not me. Uh, I just I have a really hard time turning that off. I don't know about you. Uh, it's tough. It is very tough because when before I was whenever I started shed hunting. I just remember walking into an area, head down, and then I would just, once I'd get to a good terrain feature, I'd start, slowly start looking up and looking for trees to put tree stands in. <laughs> and who knows how many, That's over right. the years, how many uh, sheds I've actually walked by. But now I know what I need to do, and it's just, you know, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of content coming out in the next couple weeks you know, from, or next couple of weeks and months from a whole bunch of different people about shed hunting. And it really is simple. Put your head down and walk back and forth in this, in a certain area, basically grid search an area and look for, look for fallen antlers. Sometimes it can be easy to find. Sometimes it can be hard and sometimes they're not there at all. So, um, I don't know. I just, it's something that, and it's one of those things where shed hunting is, we all have the the winter blues right now or the postseason deer oppression, so to speak. And we want to get outside and we want to stretch our legs a little bit. And shed hunting is a great opportunity. And postseason scouting is a great opportunity to do that. That's right. And, you know, right now, postseason scouting, especially here in a, in a place like Wisconsin, uh, a lot of that rut sign is going to be covered up by snow. Uh, we've got probably yeah. 12 inches or so of snow on the ground. And so, you're not going to see as many of the scrapes. You're not going to be able to key in as much as you would on some of the some of the trails. I mean, you'll see the late season trails that are that are cut through there, but that may mean yeah. nothing next November. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So you still really got some time before, uh, at least at this 
uh, and in this area, as far as when things are going to open up and you're really going to be able to capitalize on, you know, finding that sign from last season, but, but sheds, man, they should be up on top of the ground. I was actually, I was out the other night and you mentioned that you're out sort of doing some data gathering with your trail cameras. I've actually pulled my cameras, uh, right now, but I'm doing a lot of driving in the evenings and looking at bucks, looking at deer and, uh, you know, trying to figure out, are they, are they shedding yet or not? And it looks like right now, most of our bucks are still holding, Yep. Um, and actually saw a real nice one though, with only half his rack. So, uh, it's getting close. Yeah. You know, I kind of t- just to back up a sec and, and, and mention something that you talked to. Yes. Late season, um, late season and, uh, early season deer are definitely moving through the landscape a little bit differently. However, in, in certain terrains, uh, features, like uh, pinch points or big rid- like travel corridors, staging areas, bedding areas, they will still um, they will still use those terrain features in, in in some some sort of the same way. Yep. Get out there when there's snow on the ground and see how they do that. See the actual trail in the snow, and I'm I'm telling you right now, if you go put a tree stand. Uh, in in the tree right now based off of deer movement that's in the snow i guarantee you i don't want to say guarantee because then that makes like me sound like a <laughs> that makes me sound bad if i if i if i tell someone <laughs> to go do something and they're like hey well you told me to do this and it didn't happen this guy lost all credibility <laughs> but um <laughs> like if i was to do that i would feel very confident in having an encounter with a deer during the the hunting season the next the next fall yep yep i think yeah i think you're exactly right one of the things that i've noticed uh not as much down south but when i came up here uh the deer really concentrate at this time of year yeah so if you've got deer in a certain area during the late season you're going to have deer there earlier in the fall yeah you know what i mean it's it's like their ranges shrink and they use less and less and less of the habitat um, and sort of all group up together. So if you're in a place where you've got a lot of good late season sign, you're going to have deer in there probably September, October of next year as well. Yeah, that's a fact, my friend. Well, we kind of, uh, covered, I think what we need to cover in, in this episode. I'm excited to see what, you, what direction you take this and, and to hear the content. Yeah. I, I know you're going to be, you're going to do an excellent job. And I, I know some of the guests that you're going to be talking with that just really good, credible, tons of uh, experience, tons of knowledge coming down the pipe for all the listeners. And, uh, so, uh, uh, good luck with everything, man. I'm, I'm rooting for you. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say next. Hey, that's all right, man. You know what? I'm I'm excited about it. Thanks for do, for the handoff. I I really appreciate the foundation that's been built for the How to Hunt Deer podcast. And you know, I've been listening to it since it since it came out this past summer. Yeah, and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward not only to having a bunch of these guests on, uh, but yeah, to having you back on again too. Because now uh, now that you're not the one asking the questions. You know, we'll be able to mine the nine finger wonder brain just a little bit (laughs) and uh, see what we can pull out of there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, um, Josh, man, uh, thank you for uh, taking us to the next step of this podcast. And I guess we'll talk to you when we talk to you. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can listen to more outdoor themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com 
on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you download your podcasts.